Good morning. Make sure I clear my throat before my mic goes on next time. It's like, oh, I'm already mic'd up. Good thing I wasn't talking to myself on the way up here, murmuring. All right, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 26. uh, And uh, as we go through uh, our Bible reading plan, did you know that if you go on eBay, you can find uh, things like this. You can find uh, a newspaper that was published on the day that Elvis Presley died, 1977, and you can buy that paper for $750. Did you know that? Uh, also, that you can also find some McDonald's Happy Meal toys from the 1990s worth $350. Right? And um, yeah, still, still in good condition. Um, also, the first Apple computer, the Apple One, which came out in about 1976, is one of the most valuable computers. And if you can get your hands on an original Apple One, uh, people will, will pay for up to $355,000 for a computer that probably stores like, what, two megabytes or something? I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine the size, right? It can't do anything but maybe type. Uh, and, and also, if you're a comic book collector, if you can get your hand on the very first Well, not the first copy, but the 1939 issue of DC's Detective Comics, the the issue that introduces Batman as the first first introduction of Batman as a character, is worth $1.38 million. If you you have that one somewhere, someone will pay that. Now, why do people, why are they willing to pay that type of money for things like this? There's no logical reason. We know that, right? There's no logical reason. There's probably an emotional reason. Uh, maybe there is some nostalgic reason for it. But the main reason people are willing to, to spend money on things like this, and there's also a baseball card and, and Pokemon cards and whatever that Pokemon is, and, and, uh, and, and um, what are those little small little things? What are they, what are they called with the tags on them? What? Legos. No, Legos. They're the little small furry things. Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies. Thank you. I was going to say Teletubbies. That was something completely different. I was like, it's not a Teletubby, it's a Beanie Baby, all right? That's what it is. I knew I had the alliteration. Yeah, be, thank you. Beanie Baby, those things are worth a lot. And, and why would people actually spend money for those things? The bottom line is they will spend money for it uh, because they value it. For whatever reason, it has value to them. You know, God values things as well. Uh, he, he values creation. He values life. He values people. In fact, he values people so much that he was willing to die for people. He values holiness. And he values what we're talking about today, obedience. He values obedience. Why? Why does he value obedience? Because our obedience is good for us. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 26, starting in verse 16. This day, the Lord, your God, commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God, 
and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he's made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Father in heaven, we thank you that we're able to come in here today, like every week, and worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, as we hear from you today, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that my words will, Lord, reflect your heart, that you would let us hear what you want us to hear today, that you would speak that you would fill me with your spirit and that your spirit will fill this place in the hearts of those who are here today to receive your message. You would show us, Lord, the value of being obedient children of yours. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three aspects of the value of obedience. Three aspects of the value of obedience. First is that obedience uh, involves your heart. It involves your heart. Verse 16, it says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do all these statutes and rules that he'd been giving them in the chapters prior. And he says, you shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart, with all your soul. So we see here that God gives us the key to obedience. He tells us right here. It's not by trying harder. We're not going to be more obedient in the long run by trying harder. It's not by simply being more disciplined, although that can help. It's not by creating more rules so we don't break the rules he's given us. Obedience, God tells us, is fostered by loving God with all your heart and all your soul. Way back in the book of Genesis, God called a man named Abraham, and he made a covenant with him. He said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your family, and I'm going to use them to bless the entire world. And this covenant God initiated, but it was conditional. And the conditions of the covenant were this. As long as you obey me, God said, and serve me, I will use you to bless the world, and in turn, I will bless you. And he reminds them of this earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Look at chapter 11. He says this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. 
Throughout the first five books of the Bible, we see God through his leaders, notably Moses, we see that he can then continues, continues to remind the Israelites who descended from Abraham of this covenant obligation. Now, as the Israelites prepared to cross into the promised land, and we've been here for a few weeks in our Bible readings, but as, as they prepare to finally cross to the promised land, they're reviewing all of God's commands and are issued this challenge yet again. He says, obey, but do so because you want to, he tells them. Obey with all your heart. How do we obey God with all of our hearts, practically speaking? What does that look like? How do we we obey God with all of our hearts? Well, first of all, you have to know him more. You have to know him. How do you know him more? Prayer. Praying to him about anything and everything. Having that relationship with him. Uh, Reading your Bible. The more you know him, the more you'll love him. It's like that with any relationship. The more I know my wife, 19 years now, over 7,000 days. My son said, you've only been alive for 16,000. I said, that's good math, son. (laughs) The more I know her, the more I know my children, the more even I know my dog. I find myself loving them more every day. Even when they irritate me. I'm not talking about my wife, but the children and the dog, right? Even when they irritate me. I still love them the more I get to know them. It's that way with our relationship with Jesus. The more we get to know him, the more we will want to obey him with our hearts. Secondly, we, we, we obey God with our hearts because if we, we, have, we have to act like him more. We have to act like him more. So that means if you put a little Christian fish ichthus sign on the back of your car, or most certainly a bumper sticker from this church, take that seriously when you're driving down 52. Use your turn signal, please. Right? All joking aside, it is, the, it is true. We have to act like them more. If we're going to say we're believers, we have to act like them. Right? If I, if, I wore, if I told you I was the biggest Carolina Gamecock fan, and some of you know that I am a big one, right? But, but if I told you that, but then you never heard me talk about them, you never heard me talk about baseball or football or basketball. If I never wore a shirt or anything, or you never saw me wearing, you would start to think, you know what, I don't really think he's that big of a fan. He says he is, but I don't really see any evidence of him being that big of a fan, right? Because I wouldn't act like a fan. You say, hey, did you see the football game? I'll say, oh, what's football? Well, you're not a fan. What are you talking about, right? You don't know. Where you're... So, so we have to act like him more. What does that look like? Christians, we should act like Christians, amen? (laughs) It involves turning from sin. It involves resisting sin. And it involves replacing sin with God-glorifying behavior. So the more we act like Christians from a good heart, then we start obeying God with our hearts. And third, we can obey God with our hearts We do this by loving others more. Others 
The disciples asked Jesus, who should I love? <laughs> Who's my neighbor? Everyone. Everyone. You know, if I asked you to raise your hand if you chose your neighbor, you might, a few people might have a situation that you, you did. But most of the time when someone moves next door, <laughs> you didn't choose them, right? Some of you might, but you didn't. Or the person that, uh, that you run into at the grocery store, you didn't choose to run into that person, did you? Yeah, you, the, the, the person that, that you go to school with that sits next to you in class, you probably weren't assigned that seat. And so who do you love? You love the people that God puts in your life, whether they're lovable or not. And you know what? They might think that you're not very lovable. <laughs> surprise, surprise. They might be thinking about you right now as you're thinking about them. Love others more. See, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we will be turned into his image as our heart changes over time. See, over time, your heart either gets hardened. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally. Your heart either gets hardened over time, like Pharaoh in the Bible, or it gets softer. It gets softened. And men, if your heart's soft, it doesn't mean that you're not a man or you're not manly. It just means you're being made in the image of Jesus. If your heart is getting hardened by the things of the world, you see the things on TV and you read stuff about the world or you suffer in some way, and if your heart gets hardened by that, that means that you've not been growing closer to Christ. Now, you can be upset, but if your heart gets harder, I can almost guarantee you that you're not spending time with Jesus on a consistent basis. But if these bad things happen to you, and you see what the world is, and you, get, and you see the things of the world, and you experience it, and your heart softens. And I can almost tell you, you've been spending time with your Lord and Savior. It's evidence that you're obeying Him with your heart. Well, one day a mouse was playing under the bushes, and a cat spotted it and chased the mouse all the way to the fields. The mouse was so scared that it called out for its fairy godmother. Did you know mice had fairy godmother? They, apparently they do. It called out to its fairy godmother and asked to be transformed to a cat. So the mouse became a cat. One day that cat was bobbing around in the prairie, and a dog spotted the cat and chased the cat all the way to the woods. So the cat was so scared that it, it called out for its fairy godmother and requested that it be transformed to a dog. So the cat became a dog. One sunny day, the dog was searching for food in the woods, and the tiger spotted it and chased it all the way to the river. And the dog was so scared that it called for its fairy godmother and begged that it be transformed to a tiger. And the fairy godmother said, I'm a Gamecock fan. I can't do that. No, I'm joking. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, the dog, the dog became a tiger. All right. One morning at sunrise, that tiger was prowling in the hills, and a couple of hunters spotted it, human hunters, natives, and chased the tiger all the way to the jungle. And they were going to use the tiger's skin and fur for clothing. And the tiger was so scared that it called out its fairy godmother and demanded that it be transformed into one of these, these native hunters. And the fairy godmother finally replied and said, listen, I have transformed you from a mouse to a cat, from a cat to a dog, from a dog 
to a tiger, from a tiger to a native hunter, I can make you whatever you want, whatever you wish to become. But if your heart remains to be the heart of a little mouse, you will always live in fear. See, no matter what we look like as we change, no matter how we change, if our heart and our trust in Jesus is still puny like the mouse of a heart, we haven't really changed. Obedience is your heart changing and trusting in God. So obedience involves the heart. Secondly, obedience involves your commitment. Obedience involves your commitment. Verse 17 says this, You have declared today that the Lord is your God. You will walk in His ways and keep His statutes and His commandments and His rules and His voice. See, obedience involves more than just, just knowing God. It involves making a commitment, which is what they're doing right here. It's making a commitment. And that really is the essence of baptism. We're having baptism in two weeks. Baptism is a visual representation that we are committing our life to Christ. It is our profession of Christ. We, we, are, we show that we're, we're buried in the grave our whole life, and we, we become new. We're raised to the newness of life just like Jesus was raised from the dead. It is our profession of faith. Through that profession, we are, we're receiving His forgiveness of sins. We're receiving His gift of eternal life. But we're also entering into this relationship with him that involves commitment and obedience. You know, if you think about it, any type of relationship you have, it's hard to have one where at least one person has no commitment. Think about it. It's almost impossible. In fact, if a person is not committed, if at least one person is not committed to the health of a relationship... You could argue there's no relationship at all. If a husband or wife is not committed to making a marriage work, it won't work. If a grown child or the parent of the grown child is not committed to having a relationship with the other, it won't work. If a sibling, a brother or sister, is not committed to having a relationship to one other sibling, there won't be one. So why do we expect things to be any different with our relationship with Christ? Well, we just expect him to do all the work. Well, you don't ever call me anymore. You don't ever text me anymore. You don't ever speak to me anymore. And God says, what's this? Now, he does a lot of the work. But we still must show commitment to him. When we show commitment to him, then we see the value of being in a relationship with him. We show that commitment. We, we see the value in that when we are committed. This was such a serious thing that God instructed the Israelites to do the following, to show that they were committed. Look at Deuteronomy 11. It says this, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
And you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, that your days and your days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. God wanted to see a visible representation of their commitment. Now we can joke about putting bumper stickers on our car that say we're Christians or, or coffee mugs that have Bible verses or t-shirts, stuff like that, or hats. We can joke about it, but let me tell you this, it's better than not. Amen. I'm just telling you, it is. It's showing one's commitment to Jesus Christ. And he wanted to see this visible representation. And so then when the people would see the signs, they would tell their children about God. Why do we have that, Father? Let me tell you what God did for us in Egypt. And they would tell the story of their salvation. Now, he also knew that their commitment would be tested as they moved from the wilderness to the promised land. See, the thing about being in the wilderness, there's nobody there but you. It's just you. Right? Look at Deuteronomy 12, 29. When the Lord cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? That I may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. God tells them, I'm not taking you into this land because you're some wonderful people. He says, I'm, I'm taking you to this land because I'm kicking the other people out. That's why you're going in. He tells them this in Deuteronomy. I'm judging these people, and they're out, and you are the beneficiary of that judgment. So he says, when you go in there, don't do what they did. Spiritually speaking, when we're in a spiritual wilderness, we're at a time where we know we only have God that can help us in our lives. Maybe it is a a health crisis. Maybe it is a relationship crisis. Maybe it is some other issue where you know you only have God to rely on. God is all you have. You are not tempted to turn away from them in those times. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had nobody but Him. But now they are moving to a place where there's blessing. And there's good things. There's not just the manna. There's not just the, just the, the quail and the water. There's going to be good things, and they will have temptations. And that's what he's telling them. That's why obedience involves commitment, because when blessing comes into our life, and that's number three, obedience involves God's blessing. When blessing comes to our life, that commitment is tested even greater. See, when we have nothing... God's all we have, we're tempted by nothing. So in many ways, being an American is a blessing. Growing up in America, you know, I, you know it, is, it is God's grace that if you're a Christian, you live in America, and it's even more God's grace that you live in the South, amen? <laughs> I mean, you're either from here or you move here, pretty much, right? It's God's blessing. But in God's blessing, there are temptations to turn from Him. Turn from him. 
I don't need God. Look how blessed I am. I'm living all right. You know, the Upper East Side of Manhattan is the most expensive neighborhood in America, some would say. About the 40 or 50 blocks there. The average single-family income is $350,000, which I thought was kind of low, but anyway, it's still for that area, but it is, right? The Upper East Side of Manhattan is 120,000 residents. 120,000. And check this out. 56,000 of those residents, 56,000, are Jewish. Isn't that amazing? The wealthiest neighborhood, 46% of the wealthiest neighborhood and the wealthiest city in the world are Jews. Now, despite the Jewish people's need to individually trust Jesus Christ for salvation, God doesn't forget or break his covenants. He has a covenant with the Jewish people. He's still blessing them today. They don't deserve it, but he's blessing them. We don't deserve salvation either. 46% blessed financially. Look at verse 18. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, and he has promised you that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Part of God's covenant would be contingent on their obedience, and he would bless them. But then he tells them that even so, don't forget where you came from. We're going to end with this passage right here, Deuteronomy 8. Look at what he says here. He says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you today, lest, verse 12, when you have eaten and you're full and you've built good houses and you live in them, and you have herds, and you have flocks, and you multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. You got all the land, you got all the house, you got all the food, you got all the gold. Verse 14, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. Now I'm going to bless you, he says, and it's going to be wonderful. But do not forget. Do not forget, he says, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You were slaves. You had nothing. Now you have everything. He says, verse 15, furthermore, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, led you through the fiery serpents and the scorpions and the thirsty ground where there was no water. You brought water out of the rock. Have you ever tried to get water out of a rock before? I have. It doesn't work. It just breaks. And I fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble and test you and do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have got me this wealth. God says, no, you did nothing but obey my commands. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers to this day. He says to them, 
Don't forget where you came from. You're going to be blessed. Why are you blessed? So you can point others to me. You can be the light to me. If First Baptist Monk's Corner, if our town, if our state, if our nation is going to be a place of believers where there's Christians, if we're going to be a place where God's going to bless, it's going to be so so that we can be that city on a hill. We can shine that light so people will come to know the God of the Bible. We'll come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, enjoy your blessings. And as I said earlier, if you live in the United States of America, you are blessed in ways that, that people in the world, other parts of the world, can never imagine. Enjoy them. But don't forget why you have been blessed. You've been blessed because you're God's people. And God's people are here to show people who God is. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you've given us. But we almost feel guilty how much you've blessed us in our lives. Because we've earned none of it. Yes, we've worked and been educated and this and that and, and, and earned money, Lord. But, but you told us that that happens because your hand is in it. So Father, help us in our own individual lives see what that looks like as we go about our jobs in the workplace, as you go to school and deal with people who never heard you, as we go about our retirement, figuring out what we should do, where we should spend our time, and, and seeing who you put in our lives, Lord, that, that need to know you, that can become our one, that we pray for and serve and hopefully share Christ with. I will never forget, Lord, that we're here and we've been saved, yes, because you love us, because you, you're going to use us. And you want to use us so the people of the world will be blessed. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, who through his death, his burial and resurrection makes all these things possible. And Father, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.